and listeners. Welcome to episode number five of the Thoth Hermes podcast, coming to you on June 19, 2017. My name is Rudolf, I am your host, and I would like to tell you what a pleasure it is to have you with us today. I want to apologize for the delay in the release of this podcast. I absolutely want to avoid that kind of things, but sometimes the real life just takes over and I had some personal things to solve before I could finalize this episode. Thanks for your patience, I promise this will not happen often. This episode would like to add a little stone to the mosaic of all the anniversary celebrations that will take place over the next few weeks worldwide regarding the official 300-year jubilee of regular Freemasonry. Freemasonry being one of the entry doors for many into the occult and esoteric worlds, but also being sometimes accused of being a harbor for conspiration and world rule, will have its regular place here on Thought Hermes. My interview partner in this episode is therefore internationally known TV sports commentator and confessing and active Freemason, Michael Schiavello. As always, you will also hear some feedback from previous episodes, news, a book review, interesting music, and one personal point of view of mine on Freemasonry. I hope you will enjoy the mix. Please also visit our website www.thoshermes.com that is T-H-O-C-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com where you can find all information regarding what you hear in the podcast You can read again reviews and news, and you also have access to all previous episodes. You can listen to Source Hermes podcast on the website, on Blueberry, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Mixcloud and Android, and several other podcast apps that have in the meantime already added us to their offer. So, the choice is all yours. On the website, I hope you will also go and discover the artwork of our featured artist. Thought Hermes is proud to support and present artists working in the occult and esoteric realms, 
At the moment, you can find the works of British artist Stuart Littlejohn. And now, some feedback. I have felt very honoured last week Wednesday when I got word that the very interesting Canadian website Spiral Nature have listed Thos Hermes among the five best occult podcasts. Many thanks to Nico and their team for this. Here are a few words of what they wrote. This is a new podcast. As of this post, Rudolf is only four episodes in, but it's off to a good start. Rudolf incorporates in-depth interviews with music and an update on occult news. I like that it incorporates other aspects of our culture and isn't solely focused on one type of occultic endeavor. Wow, I'm really happy about this. She got exactly what I intend to do, and this is of course essential to me. This is a great acknowledgement for our work and gives me a lot of energy to further improve this podcast and website. But I also want to thank all of you. Over 2,800 downloads of the episodes so far, they prove that you have been following and created a wonderful audience. Let's continue like that all together. I'm looking forward to your feedback, as always, with the contact form on the website, voicemail via SpeechPipe, Facebook, Twitter or email. I would also have a special wish to those of you who live in or nearby Vienna, or at least in the eastern part of Austria and its immediate surroundings. It is where I am based, and it would be really great to know who is out there and to get in touch. Do write to me. And if there is interest, we could even imagine to do a meetup one day. So send me a message and I will get in touch. Today I will present to you three pieces of Masonic music, but all of them of very different style and origin. Let's start this episode with a rather unusual piece. Tango Fraternal number no. 2. Yes, a Masonic tango. And it comes to us from the Brethren in Paraguay. Viene del fondo del tiempo, fraterno y universal, labrando la piedra bruta, martillo, escuadra, compás. Igual entre sus iguales, hermano rumbo de luz, de la mano del silencio aprendiz de la virtud tres golpes tienen sentido para el que sabe escuchar desentrañando misterios practicando el arte real 
en el taller la colmena trabajando sin cesar gloria del gran arquitecto hermano en la libertad gloria del gran arquitecto hermanos en la igualdad gloria del gran arquitecto hermano en fraternidad desde el centro de la tierra vientre materno buril Libre y de buenas costumbres, justo y perfecto albañil. Sabiduría y tolerancia, logia maestro nivel. Baterías, toques, saludos, regla yugular sin ser. Los viajes le develaron templo, espada, signo, luz mandil, palabra, columna ara, oriente, abrazo, voz en el taller la colmena trabajando sin cesar gloria del gran arquitecto hermano en la libertad gloria del gran arquitecto hermanos en la igualdad gloria del gran arquitecto hermano en fraternidad gloria del gran arquitecto hermano en la libertad. Tango Fraternal Number no. 2 A Masonic Piece of Music from Paraguay Here comes the interview. It is said that on June 24, 1717, in the back chamber of the Goose and Gridiron Alehouse in London, four existing lodges of Freemasons met and founded the Grand Lodge of London and Westminster, later to be called the Grand Lodge of England. Even though through rather recent historical studies this date has become controversial, International Freemasonry is celebrating June 24, 2017 as the 300-year anniversary of the founding of Freemasonry. I would like to use this occasion, and so this episode is almost entirely dedicated to the Brotherhood. Today's featured interview partner is world-famous sports commentator, Australian Michael Schiavello, also called The Voice. 
he has always been very outspoken about being a Mason and has recently published a book which has become a bestseller. Know thyself, using the symbols of Freemasonry to improve your life, published by Louis Masonic. In this first part of our talk, he, among other things, tells us why it is important for him to let people know about him being member of the craft, how a visiting mason should behave in another lodge, and about the role of education in masonry. As usual, there will be a musical break after about 30 minutes into the interview. Also, before we start, I would like to point out to you that in the remainder of the podcast, after the interview, you will be able to hear a few other opinions and points of view on today's Freemasonry to paint a more complex picture of its state. But now, come with me and meet Michael Schiavello. Welcome, Michael Schiavello. Welcome to Thought Hermes podcast. I'm very happy to have you here on the microphone with me tonight. Rudolf, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's been a long time in the making, but finally, you and I get to talk. Absolutely great. Now, Michael, you are the voice. As people know you, uh, you're Australian. You are somebody who talks a lot about sports. Tell us a bit about that to start with. Well, I work as a uh, sports broadcaster for an American television network called Access TV. I'm based out of Las Vegas, Nevada uh, at the moment, although, as you rightfully say, I'm Australian. I uh, moved over here to the USA when I w w in uh, 2011, and I've commentated uh, sports events all over the world in 23 countries, to be exact, including the Olympic Games in Beijing, the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, worked for gee, must be 50 or 60 networks around the world. Uh, something I've been doing for the last 23, 24 years. It began at uh, Fox Sports in Australia, and since then I've worked all over the world. It's It's been, it's been a, a true privilege and a joy that I've had a job and still have a job that has allowed me to experience a lot of the world and attend a lot of very exciting sports events. And working on radio, as you know, is, is very exciting, which is how I got my start. And working on TV is just a big... You know, as big a, an adrenaline rush every single week on live TV where you know you can't make a, a mistake, it's always a thrill and it's something I thoroughly still enjoy. Oh, yes, I'm sure. I mean, now our listeners know why I'm a little bit nervous tonight talking to a pro like you. That's quite something for me. And you also cannot deny that you are, you maybe live in Las Vegas, but you are not American. But I think we can hear that. <laughs> Definitely not American. You know, it's, it's funny, though, because in America, the first thing people say when they meet me is, oh, I love your accent. And I say back to them, I go, well, I love your accent. And Americans are always like, I don't have an accent. Well, to me, you do. <laughs> I always, unfortunately, Australian always seems to be the, the second guest. They always guess British ahead of Australian. So it's something I try and rectify straight away when Americans meet me. <laughs> they always think it's a British accent. But, uh, you, you know, with an accent like yours, Rudolph, if you come to America, I'm sure they'll dig your accent too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, now people might wonder why we have somebody who is a broadcaster, a TV broadcaster, a famous sports commentator. Why do we have him on this podcast, Thought Hermes, which is an esoteric and occult podcast? Well, there is reason to that. And maybe, Michael, you want to explain for yourself what brings you here. There is a book that you wrote recently, and we are going to talk about that book a bit later. But that book comes out of a source in you. You have joined a society about eight years ago, if my information is correct. Your information is very correct. I am a, a Freemason. Uh, I became a Freemason in Australia in, in 2009. Uh, so as you said, eight years ago, uh, I was, uh, what, 34 years old at the time. A lot of people want to find out, like yourself, you know, how did a sports broadcaster a uh, successful sports broadcaster, joined Freemasonry, especially at that stage in my life. I'm one of those people who was always trying to improve myself, and I think that should be the aim of anyone in life, is to always be better than you were the day before or the year before or a decade before. And when I was uh, you know, 33, 34 years old, I, I, I came across a, a piece of paraphernalia in Australia about Freemasonry. And the slogan they used was Freemasonry making good men better. Hmm. And I thought it got me it got me thinking, Rudolph. I thought to myself, well, I think I'm a pretty good man as it is, but if there is something out there, something that's not a religion that can make me a better man, I'm all for seeing what it's about. And uh, that led me on the path to, to joining my local Masonic Lodge and began my, my Masonic career in Australia where I attained the, uh, the third degree, the Master Mason's degree. I continued that Masonic career when I, I moved to America in 2011. I joined a lodge in Las Vegas. I did the uh, degrees of the Scottish Rite up to the 32nd degree. I did the degrees of the York Rite up to the Knights Templar degree and the Holy Royal Arch degree. And last year, I was very thrilled and, and privileged to have served as a, a worshipful master of the lodge here in Las Vegas. So I can you know say that I've attained that position as well. I've pretty much done as, as much as you can do in, in Freemasonry, and I've crammed a lot of it into the last uh, seven, uh, seven or eight years. And it's, it's, it's been one of the most wonderful and rewarding journeys I've been on in my life, and it still is. I'm learning something more and more about Freemasonry every single day and uh, I think I'm in for a, a lifetime of learning if not more. That's great. Well, first, congratulations to that path that you were going there. And well, I'm very glad to hear that you have found that fulfillment. I'm a Mason myself, as you already know, Michael. Uh, I have a few years more than you. I'm 56 of age. And I have been a member of the fraternity for now 25 years. Well, Scottish Rite is also something I, I'm in. So we have a few things in common. I, I was worshipful of my lodge here in Austria a few years ago. What would interest me, because I know a lot about the differences, for example, between European and North American masonry, also about differences within Europe, because it is one single big fraternity, but from country to country, there are different traditions, different approaches. Now, you've been initiated in Australia and then moved on on your path in uh, the USA. Have you encountered big differences between the two countries or was it very similar on both sides? A very good question. And the answer is enormous differences. And when, when I say differences, 
let's remember that no matter where you travel in the world, the, the, the tenets of Freemasonry, the principles upon which, which uh, Freemasonry is built remain the same. Okay, the, the basic beliefs, sure. the teachings, the lessons are all the same. But what differs, I've found, is the ritual. And from having learned Australian ritual, which is basically uh, very similar to English emulation ritual, also pretty much identical to the ritual they use in Canada, I had to unlearn, well, I had to learn something completely new when I learned uh, American ritual, or more specifically Nevada ritual, which I consider maybe, if not the most beautiful ritual i've yet come across i'm i'm a i'm a fan of collecting ritual books i have maybe 20 or 30 ritual books from various american jurisdictions and various international jurisdictions uh that i've collected over the years we seem and, to have a uh, few things in common michael <laughs> yeah you know I, i love collecting those little books and i think there's something in each of them but the nevada ritual truly is magnificent i think it's the most in-depth one i've i've been through yet it, it's the most meaningful Uh, it's lessons are communicated in, in the best way, but it is very, very different from Australia. I mean, uh, even if you just compare as a, as a whole American Freemasonry to Australian or English Freemasonry, you don't have things like the do-guards in, in, in Australia, whereas you use a do-guard and a sign in America. Mm -hmm. You know, the way the lodge is set up in America is different to the way the lodge is set up in England or in Australia. Even the, the, the you know, the logo, I suppose, the, the, the symbol of the craft being the square and compasses in England, in Australia, they add the letter G to the middle of the square and compasses in the United States, uh, which isn't done predominantly around the world. It's mostly a, a US thing that's done in US Freemasonry. So there are a lot of differences, but at the end of the day, everything as far as the lessons that Freemasonry is imparting do remain the same. And that's it also, Rudolph, you did mention about the, the differences that can occur from country to country in Europe. You know, you'll get differences in the ritual in Austria than you would in England, than you would in France, than you would in uh, in perhaps Finland or Norway. Absolutely. Well, it's, same, it's the same in America. You, I, I tell people, you've got to really look at America like Europe, okay? Even though America is the United States of America, Those, those 50 states, to me, having traveled through, gosh, probably all of them bar maybe eight or nine, are like traveling through different countries, okay? California as a state is a completely different way of life, a way of a, a different culture, different food, different taxes, different prices, different accent than Iowa, than New York, than Florida. Every state is different. And Masonically speaking as well, when you travel from state to state, there are differences in the ritual. And even two states that border each other, like Nevada, where I am, and like California, which is right next door, they have some very marked differences in their ritual. We get to see it in our lodge every year because once a year, a, a quite large lodge from California does a road trip here to Las Vegas and they conduct a third degree inside our lodge room. So even though we open and close the lodge on the third degree, we pass the gavel over to their master and their master conducts the third degree ritual. So watching that every year has allowed me to see the differences in even the Californian and the Nevada ritual. So literally, you can walk one meter over a state line being a different Masonic jurisdiction, one meter away from another Mason, and you're practicing a different 
ritual. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I couldn't agree more when, you, on the other hand, you say, with all those differences between countries and states, etc., even within countries, France, for example, within the same Grand Lodge, they work four different types of ritual. But uh, even in spite of that, there is always that union, that basic communion, I would almost say, an understanding among Masons, right? I think this is the, the, the real beauty of it. There is that common ground, that common understanding. And as we call it in Freemasonry, we do all share. We are bound together by a mystic tie. That's what we call it in Freemasonry, as you know, a mystic tie. Yes. And it's something that you can't really explain too much to the layman because it's something that needs to be experienced. But it's something that connects you and I, Rudolph. It's something that connects you and I to every other Freemason around the world, that connects us to the famous Freemasons throughout history, the presidents, the pop stars, the athletes, the billionaires, the TV stars, whoever they may be, the sports stars. We're all connected by this by this uh, mystic tie, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I do want to say that when people travel to lodges internationally, do be uh, aware that lodges will operate differently than your home lodge. You know, we had an incident, well, an incident, a situation a couple of months ago where a brother from a lodge in Ireland, I believe it was, visited our lodge here in Nevada. Now, he presented our, our worshipful master with a banner that his lodge had made for us, which was a beautiful gesture. But when he greeted our worshipful master, uh, he did so using his Irish greeting, which was the same as an Australian greeting, mm. in that when he was talking, he would perform the sign, but he wouldn't be cutting the cutting the sign. He, he would hold the sign in, in the entered apprentice degree sign. And our master didn't know what to do. He wasn't familiar with that. So our master stuck out his hand to greet this traveling brother. And this traveling brother refused to shake the hand until the master returned the sign. So it was just a little bit awkward for our master. And I thought the, the visiting, you know, the visiting Freemason who was a master in, in Ireland should have respected where he was and, and realized that things are done a little bit differently. And if anyone was to go visit his lodge in Ireland, then they would expect to, you know, reciprocate and use the greetings they use there. So there are differences between lodges all over the world and, and between state to state. And uh, it's just a matter of being aware and looking around and seeing what people are doing. But know that everywhere you go, you are being embraced by men who share the same mystic ties you do. Yeah. And what you just said about the brother from Ireland, I mean, I've made similar experiences. I was lucky enough to be able to travel quite a bit. Uh, and also when I had time on my professional travel, I tried to visit lodges where I was. And sometimes you just don't know how to behave properly. And it's true that in those situations, I did often also say, well, I know what I do at home, so to speak. And if I don't know how to behave properly where I am, I behave like at home. At least that's what I know. Maybe that yeah. was the motivation of that man. My key note is, you know what? Always in a lodge, no matter where you're visiting, the man in charge is the worshipful master of that lodge. If the master sticks out his hand to shake your hand, reciprocate. Stick out your hand and shake his hand. Whatever the master says is what goes in, in that particular lodge. So if you're unsure, just watch the master. If that he offers his hand, true. Yes. If he offers his hand, shake his hand, and then you're done. And then you can, you know, you can tell him afterwards, hey, this is how we actually do it in, in our lodge back home. If you ever come to visit me, this is what you do. And he'd he'd love to hear that. And that's just my yeah. my advice for any traveling mason. Just always see what the master does. Very true, absolutely. When I read for example, the Wikipedia entry about Michael Scavello. At the bottom, I see he is Freemason. So you're very open about it, and I like that. I 
am like that myself, but that's not the case of everyone. Maybe more in the United States, maybe also in Australia. I don't know. You're going to tell me. But you do it really openly. Why did you choose to do it that way? I think it all comes down to personal opinion and, and, and personal feelings towards Freemasonry. It's, um, let, let me backtrack a little here, uh, Rudolph. People often ask me, and non-Freemasons ask me, go, well, why are you a Freemason? What's it all about? What is it? And my very simple answer is this. Freemasonry is one of several methods of self-improvement. To me, that's what it is. At the guts of it, Freemasonry is a path of self-improvement. There are many paths of self-improvement we can choose to undertake in our lives. Now, some people choose Freemasonry. Some people choose martial arts. Some people choose to go to school or back to school, do higher learning, attend university, attend the night school, do a short course. Some people do yoga. Some people find religion. All these are various paths to self-improvement. Freemasonry is just one. It's a path that is tried and tested over hundreds and hundreds of years. It works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. Now, like any of these paths that people take, some people will be very open about them. You know, you'll often go on, on, on Facebook and you'll see um, you know, CrossFit practitioners are very outspoken as to the benefits of CrossFit. Vegans are very outspoken as to you know, the benefit of living, living a vegan like those who undertake yoga are happy to tell the world they they do yoga and how much yoga has improved them Mm. i know a lot of martial artists being that martial arts is one of the the sports that i broadcast that uh you know shout to the world that martial arts has turned their lives around but i also know a lot of martial artists who don't tell anyone they do martial arts outside of those people in their dojo so this is the same with freemasonry it's a very personal thing for me it's something i've always been very open about i've always worn a masonic lapel pin on all of my broadcasts around the world. And I'm being broadcast into 43 million homes every week, every Friday night here in the US. Amazing. And every Friday night in 43 million homes, they are seeing me and my broadcast partner, Pat Militich, who's a UFC Hall of Famer. They're seeing him and I both wear Masonic lapel pins and Masonic rings. And everywhere we go, we have people coming up to us that are either Freemasons, saying how much they appreciate that, or people that have seen us wear our pins in our rings and want to know more about the fraternity. So for me, because of the countless, countless benefits that Freemasonry has brought to my life and brought to the lives of my brothers and people I've seen become Freemasons, I'm, I'm happy to tell the whole world about it because I think it's one of the most beautiful organizations, institutions, teaching methods in existence. And um, to me, it's something very personal it's helped my life. It's helped my life path. It's certainly improved myself. And if my getting that word out there or just showing my support for it can help put anyone else on a path to self-betterment that they're looking for, then so be it. I've done a good thing. That said, though, you know, also I, I see very much a, a generational thing, Rudolph, particularly here in the United States. Uh, a lot of the brothers at my lodge, uh, well, I won't say a lot, most of them are older because we do have quite a young officers line. But a lot of them are over 60 years old. You know, the oldest one we have in Lodge is actually a Pearl Harbor survivor who is 94 years old. He's amazing, 33rd degree. Now, these guys tend to keep their Masonic membership a little bit more secretive, um, only because that's how they were taught back in the 1950s, the 1960s, the 70s, when they were joining Freemasonry. You know, you've got to remember that 
for a while there, back in the 40s, you know, during the World War II, Freemasonry was underground a lot. Hitler tried to wipe out the Freemasons, okay? In the past in America, there's been anti-Freemasonry political parties. Sure. So there's people throughout history, particularly in the USA and in parts of Europe, that have looked down on Freemasonry. So you can see why someone who came from a much earlier era where they joined the craft, where their father was maybe a Freemason or their grandfather, and they never really knew about it, but they saw dad or they saw grandpa go out you know, once a month or once every two weeks, dressed up in a suit with a little black briefcase and didn't yeah. know where they were going. It was very secretive. That's just the way it was done for generations. But now I feel the young Masons are realizing, you know what, there's nothing secret here. The only secrets we have are the handshakes and the passwords. And the reasons we keep those secret is not because they possess any amazing knowledge. You can look them up on the internet. You can go now and do a Google search. You'll find them. But right. what they teach you by keeping a secret is a metal of your character. It shows whether you're a, a good, reliable, trustworthy individual that you can at least keep a secret of a password and a handshake. Because if you can't do that, Rudolph, how can I trust you in the same organization I'm in? How could I trust you with personal information? How could I trust you if I say, hey, can you can you go pick up my my, my three-year-old kid from kindergarten? Right. Can you go you know, pick up my, my wife from here? Can you go look after my kids? Can I handle you, you know, hand you some personal sensitive information I need a hand with? But by keeping these secrets, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because it no, lets me know that I am connected to other men who share the same mystic tie and who share the ability to keep things that are private, keep them private and not scream them from the rooftops. Absolutely. And it's all about trust. You're absolutely right. Uh, I'm also very happy that you are so outspoken and open about it because I think it's important. I also believe it's a personal choice for anyone. I don't see somebody who is secretive about it as a less interesting or less open-minded Mason. That's just a personal choice, but I'm I'm very glad you do that. And, and are... Rudolph, just let, me, just let me interject there for a moment. There's nothing that grinds my nerves more in Freemasonry than especially a young Freemason. When I say young, I'm saying 18 to, to, to 40 years old, you know. Mm -hmm. When someone asks them about Freemasonry and they give a smug smile and they say, I can't tell you about it, it's secret. <laughs> to me, that is utterly ridiculous. And these people, these people that have gotten into Freemasonry to have what they consider a big secret over everyone else, that gives them a, a sense of power and entitlement, the bane of Freemasonry. They, they are people we don't want in Freemasonry because they are doing more harm for this great fraternity, this great organization, than good. About Freemasonry, I will answer any question they ask me, bar what are the passwords and the grips. I'll answer anything else they ask of me, because, as anyone should. But those that you know smugly say, oh, it's a secret, I can't tell you what, I have to kill you, these are what I call postcard masons. These are guys who become Freemasons because they watch the Da Vinci Code or the the lost. They read the Lost Symbol or they watch National Treasure and then they want to buy the cufflinks straight away. They want to wear the necklace straight away. They want to wear the ring straight away. They want to get the fancy apron. They want the title, but they yep. don't actually know what being a Freemason is. Absolutely. They don't respect it. They just want to have something they can flaunt 
and talk to their friends about, but then pretend like they've got a big secret no one else has. And it, it really does you know, grind at me. No, that's absolutely true. What I meant is more people who live maybe in situations or countries. Um, I mean, even in my country, we are much less outspoken about it because politically, historically, you know, in this country, uh, Freemasonry has only been officially allowed since 1918, uh, which is quite amazing. Most people don't know that. We have had a few lodges in the 18th century in Austria, but that was it. The whole 19th century, it was forbidden. And 1918 to 1938, and then, of course, the Nazis came into Austria, then it was again out until 1948. And when you see that history in the country, of course, that forms a bit the different appreciation. Uh, and maybe we are a bit more secretive about it, not because we feel power in it, but also there was for a long time, no longer today, but there was for a long time a necessity for that secrecy. Exactly. And, and that's what I was saying, how it is generational. You can go back and see how the the Masons from, from that have been 50, 60-year members are much more secretive about their membership only because, as I said, that's how it was for their dad. That's right. how it was for their grandfather. You know, that's how it was right. back in the day when you had the anti-Mason parties and when, when you had, you know, like the Nazi party, of course, trying to wipe out the Freemasons in Europe during the war and, and, and the rest of it. And people can dig into that history on their own time, of course. But with the modern generation and finding the benefits of it, uh, you know, hopefully more, you know, younger Freemasons are very open about their membership and do encourage others to join, especially because, you know, self-improvement in this day and age, as it is in any day and age, is of the utmost importance. And if Freemasonry is that path, then we should help encourage others. We should never ram it down anyone's throat because it's for everyone to choose their path in life as to how they will improve themselves. And Freemasonry is not for everyone. I understand that. It's only for, for, for uh, you know, a select few people. And, you know, and there might be other ways for people to go and improve themselves. That's why I never, you know, I'll never badmouth anyone that's doing any form of self-improvement. As long as you are improving yourself to become a better person, power to you, good for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, slowly we are approaching the, 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 the occasion why we are meeting here today. But before we go into that, really, one last previous question. I read in your, in your Masonic biography that you hold a certificate of Masonic education from your lodge in Australia, from your Grand Lodge in Australia. Tell us about that. What made you have that certificate and what is it exactly? I don't know that term uh, over here. So the Grand Lodge of, of Victoria in Australia has a course that Masons can do when they become Master Masons. I think I was the only person to do it via correspondence because I was based in America when I when I did the course. But it's a course that they attend in uh, Victoria, and you go there and you, you complete a certificate of Masonic studies. And what it is, it's uh, giving you lessons about various aspects of Freemasonry from the history of Freemasonry to a localized history of Freemasonry in the region to the symbols of Freemasonry to Freemasonic ritual and beyond. And then what you need to do is for, for, to attain uh, a pass in all the, uh, the various courses leading to that certificate. Uh, you've got to write an essay, uh, often essay question at the end of every course. And uh, I think the course, if I remember, took me either 12 or 18 months to complete. And at the end of it, I did have a certificate of uh, Masonic Studies. And they do offer also a diploma of Masonic Studies beyond that, which is a much longer course. I believe it takes three or four years to complete. But um, I'm hungry for Masonic knowledge. And I always, ha always have been and I still am. And when I 
found out about the course, I, I signed up for it immediately, even though I did it via correspondence from America. And it was it was very, very rewarding. And hopefully one day uh, when I get back to Australia, I'd love to be able to do the uh, diploma course as well. Uh, I think that uh, more jurisdictions around the world should really be doing this sort of education. Now, education is, is, is paramount in Freemasonry, Rudolph. When I was master of my, my lodge in, in Las Vegas last year, I implemented that. Now, we meet every week, every week, not once a month, every mm. single week, every Monday at high noon, we're at Daylight Lodge, we meet every week. And I implemented an educational program and offering lectures every single week. And most of these lectures I performed myself. Some I had guest lectures coming from other lodges, some international lecturers, some from various states around America came in to perform these lectures. And what happened was we went from attendance every week of about you know 16 to 20 to averaging 40 people a week at lodge because they were coming for the education That's education great, yeah. is so important you know it really mm. is important and the master who took over from me who's the master this year has kept that alive and i know they'll keep that alive for years to come and that program that we instituted has affected a lot of other masonic lodges here in nevada especially in las vegas that they're doing their own education programs at the lodge every week or every two weeks so you know i've always been hungry for education and having learned so much i also I'm eager to give a lot back as well. That's great. And I'm also interested to hear that your lodge is meeting every week. We do that in Austria as well, but internationally spoken, it has become rather rare that lodges meet weekly. It is. And in Australia, it's the same. In Australia, it's only once a month. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll be heading back to Australia soon. And I'm sort of a little bit disappointed that I, uh, my, my lodge in Australia will only be meeting once a month. And I'm used to getting it. I'm used to you know, getting my fix, so to say, of lodge once a week. And, and, and for me, it's, it's, it's just there's something about going to lodge and it's hard to put your finger on it. But it's I won't say it's a spiritual experience, a, a cleansing experience. It raises your vibrations. It raises your energy. There's something about it. When I'm in that lodge room, Rudolph, it's my happy place. It really, really is. It's my happy place. You know, I was saying to my, my wife a couple of months ago, last year when I, was, when I was master of the lodge, I was actually master for a year and a half. When I was master of the lodge sitting in the east every Monday at noon, Never once did I feel sick. Never once did I have a headache. Never once did I have a cold. Did I have the sniffles? Did I have a cough? Nothing. It was amazing. Every every week when I was sitting in the east, I just I, I, I felt the best I've ever felt week in, week out. So there's something magical about the lodge experience for me, and I know for many others that does something to their their body's energy and their vibrations. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll miss doing that every week. But it is a weekly thing here in in uh, Las Vegas for, for most lodges. I know what you're talking about, absolutely. We will now be taking a short break in the interview and I will play for you another rather unusual piece of Masonic music. This one is called Freemason Rap and is written and interpreted for you by Brother J. Rowe. Yes, it is exactly what the title says, Rap on Masonic Texts. Enjoy. So mode it be, so mode it be. Shout out to all my brothers through Freemasonry. Let's meet on the level, I earned three degrees Had to kill me cause they couldn't get my secrets from me So mode it be, 
so molded be. Shout out to all my brothers through Freemasonry. Let's meet on the level. I earned three degrees. Had to kill me cause they couldn't get my secrets from me. Between the square and compass, I'ma keep it G. From darkness to light, steady traveling east. Made an oath with God while I was down on one knee. No matter what, they'll never take my apron from me. Nothing's for free, so you gotta pay your dues. In whom do you put your faith? That's for you to choose. Follow your conductor, hoodwink with no shoes. We can never lose, these cowards are so confused. Hiram built the temple, it's our job to protect it. Thanks to the Tyler, all alarms get detected. Uphold your virtue like the Supreme Architect did. They don't understand it, but I bet that they respect it. So mode it be, so mode it be. Shout out to all my brothers through Freemasonry. Let's meet on the level, I earned three degrees. Had to kill me cause they couldn't get my secrets from me. So mode it be. So mode it be, shout out to all my brothers through Freemasonry, let's meet on the level, I earned three degrees, had to kill me cause they couldn't get my secrets from me. The beehive we are, so we share all the honey, find a destitute brother and I'll lend him my money, the lies they tell about us we can't help but find funny, a traveling man I consider myself lucky. Just one of many of Solomon's builders With the five points of fellowship you better be familiar Before the winding stairs you had to pass through the pillars Misinformation has the uninformed bewildered Making good men better, what more could I ask for? Using my tools to perfect my rough bachelor Living a dream under the canopy of heaven No homo but I love all of my brethren Recognized by a spoken word or a handshake Living upright by following Elijah's mandate Ask one to be one and you can become a candidate I'ma honor my obligation, I'll never violate Freemasonry So mode it be Freemasonry So mode it be Freemasonry 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 Freemason Rap by Brother J. Rowe. Let us now return to the second part of my talk with Brother Michael Schiavello, where he tells us about his book Know Thyself, which he wrote as a guide for personal improvement for Masons and non-Masons alike. Well, Michael, you're hunger for knowledge, as you just said, uh, has also brought you to write the book. And that's the occasion that I mentioned before, why we're meeting here today. So there is that book called Know Thyself. It's the subtitle, Using the Symbols of Freemasonry to Improve Your Life. When did you decide to write the book and uh, how did that all happen? Well, as I said, you know, I became a Freemason in 2009. So when you become a Freemason in each of the three degrees, you learn the various working tools and the symbols. And really the, the, the ritual of Freemasonry only just gleams the surface of what these working tools and these symbols and all this stuff you do in the lodge room and what it's all about. And the more that I researched, the more I thought about it and really meditated on these symbols and stuff, I thought to myself, God, there's so much here. 
we can use a lot of this stuff in our daily lives. It's not just contained to the lodge room. There's more to it than the simple explanation I'm getting in the ritual book. And I really dug into it and really started to form my own theories of what these symbols really meant and what these working tools were really about and started using them in my own life and realized that they were helping me to improve myself in my daily life, not just in my interactions in lodge. And as the years went by, I started to write papers on them and sometimes I'd do lectures on them at various lodges. And um, as those papers build up, I, I thought, well, I, I want to put this into a book. And uh, I approached uh, Lewis Masonic, who is the largest and oldest book publisher in the world out of uh, London, England. And I wrote to their editor-in-chief, Martin Fox, and I said, Martin, I've got a, an idea here, but it's something a little bit different for Lewis Masonic. I want to write a book, but it's for Masons, but it's also for non-Masons. I want, I want it to be the, for the mainstream people to realize that within this system of teaching called Freemasonry, there are symbols and working tools that you as a non-Freemason can use in your life. If you understand them, what they're about and the lessons they impart, you can use them yourself. You don't have to be a Freemason to use them. And so Lewis Masonic thought about it and their, their editorial board came to the decision to, to, to greenlight the book. And um, I'm glad they did. And it's, you know, it's become a bestseller over the last uh, six months that it's been out, uh, released in uh, September of, of last year. And I'm getting so much feedback from non-Masons and Masons alike who say it's opened up their eyes to things they never realized and understanding of Masonic symbols and concepts that they never realized were there right in front of them that is helping them with their daily lives, you know, helping them think more positively. There was this uh, one reviewer on, on YouTube. He's not a Freemason, but he reviewed the book on YouTube. And he said that, Reading the book helped him repair his relationship with his girlfriend, also helped him improve his financial outlook. And I was blown away. I mean, you know, I knew that what I wrote in there could genuinely help people, not just Freemasons, but as I said, non-Freemasons. But for someone to come out, and this was maybe a, you know, 30-year-old man to come out and review it on YouTube and say, hey, reading this book helped repair my relationship and it helped put me in a better financial situation. That was just so heartwarming for me and gave me so much joy. And when I get response like that, that's the reason I wrote this book. I want people to realize that, you know, take away all the BS you hear about Freemasonry, all this Illuminati, Luciferian, satanic crap. None of that exists. That is all BS created by people who want to destroy Freemasonry because they have their own agenda to further or they just never understood it because they never took the time or bothered to join themselves and see what it was really all about. What really at the heart of it is, as I said, a method of teaching of self-improvement. And I wanted to get this across in the book, and I'm glad that I did, and, and it works. And you certainly achieved that. I mean, I have read the book. I really like it very much. Congratulations to that. And also from the reviews I see online and elsewhere, uh, I mean, um, it's really impressive. What fascinated me about the book at first, and you just mentioned that, and that's, well, Honestly, I wouldn't know another book which has that approach, is that you are using Masonic symbolism for Masons and non-Masons alike. And that's a completely new approach. How did you have that basic idea? I mean, well, you have to find that first. <laughs> you, yeah, you know, I, I, I've read so many Masonic books over the years, so many Masonic books, and uh, all of them are targeted mostly towards Freemasons. And the problem is, reading a lot of these books, the the jargon used, the wording they use is very flowery, very 
hard to understand, very contrived sometimes. And I thought to myself, you can't get a message across like this. I'll give you an example. Let's say Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma, maybe the most famous book in all of Freemasonry, okay? Now, if you've read Morals and Dogma, oh, my goodness, God bless you. It's the hardest book ever to read. It's incredible. You know, you you can only read maybe a page and then you've got to put it down and take a a Panadol or a Tylenol because you've got a headache. (laughs) And this, you know, Albert Pike was a very smart man, but sometimes in writing, you don't want to prove how smart you are. You just want to get your message across clearly and succinctly and well. And so that was my aim when writing, when writing Know Thyself, was I need to get this message across so that Freemasons understand it, but also non-Freemasons. Because the moment I start to get wordy and flowery and want to prove that I'm a smart guy, I'm a smart writer, people are going to lose track. I want people to be able to pick up my book while they're on the train to work, while they're lying in bed, while they're sitting in the bathroom, you know, pick it up at any time, have a read of a chapter or half a chapter and go away going, wow, I I got something out of that. You know, at the end of every chapter, I included uh, a list of questions you can ask yourself, you know, ask yourself these 10 questions about your life. Answer these questions honestly, I say. And if you answer these and work these these symbols and these tools into your life, you're going to improve. You know, it's a self-help book at the end of the day. It's a, it's a self-help book to help make you a better person. So it's got to be an everyday language. You know, there's little little bits of humor in the book, little you know jokes here and there. There's a very much modern-day phraseology in the book. Um, there's nothing old 18th, 17th century flowery about it. It's written for a modern person to be able to easily understand and take in as much information as possible. Definitely. Now, tough question, honest answer, Michael. Have you been accused by certain Masons for writing a book like that? Honest answer, no. Great. And honestly, more surprisingly, no. I would have thought, especially from maybe some of the older Masons that I know who are those generational Masons who are very secret and silent about Freemasonry and, oh, you can't tell anyone the, the symbols or the signs or any of this sort of stuff. I would have thought someone might have pulled me aside and said, hey, I don't think you should have written this book. But you know what? Surprisingly and and gladly so, no. That's great because I was exactly like you. I I would have expected certain people to react uh, a bit bitterly. But if if it has not happened, great. I find that great. And on the other hand, have you heard from cases who, because of your book, decided to join the Brotherhood? Yes, yes, many, many. Oh, uh, you know, there's one brother just over and these are people that I've met a lot of times who know me from television. And then as a result of that, uh, have ordered the book. And as a result of reading the book, then they've, they've become a Freemasonry. One brother in particular, I'll call him a brother now because he, he's about to be raised, I believe, next week. Um, he, he he met me at a show that I did over in Providence, Rhode Island a couple of years ago. And he saw my Masonic lapel pin. And, um, you know, I said, oh, hey, that you're a Freemason. That's interesting. What's so good about it? And I had a little bit of a chat to him. And we, we kept bumping into each other at the shows every time I'd go to Providence, Rhode Island. And then uh, he ordered my book when it came out last September. He was one of the first people to order it. And he brought it to one of the shows. And I signed it for him before I went on television. And he read the book. And after reading the book, he said to me, he goes, Michael, I'm, I'm convinced I, this is for me. Freemasonry is for me. And he's been updating me with his progress and, you know, through the first and second degrees. And he's doing his third degree, I I believe, next week. And there's so many people that I've met that have done the same thing, that have sent me messages, emails, Facebook messages, um, even letters in the mail. 
just saying, hey, you know, your, your book changed my life. And because of this book, I'm, I'm joining. Yeah. When I read the chapter names of your book, there are several very, to amaze and especially very clear symbols, the letter G, the cable tau, the 24-inch gauge, etc., etc. There are also other titles which inspire completely new thought, like the universe is Google, for example, I read here, or silence and secrecy, which I find a particularly interesting chapter. Give me one or two of your favorite, if you can, of your favorite chapters, of your favorite symbols or approaches that you took in that book. And again, yeah, and again, the, the reason heading the chapter headings are like that is, is again, to communicate something straight away in a very simple to understand language. So, for example, when you're talking about uh, uh, the, the symbol of a point within a circle, which is one of my favorite Masonic symbols, uh, the, the heading of it is, what's the point? Question yes. mark. You know, you talk about um, the winding staircase, which is a very misunderstood symbol in Freemasonry, and the heading title for that one is The Only Way Is Up, which when you read that chapter, it makes complete sense that I'd actually call the, the chapter that. Uh, I think one of my favorite, if not my favorite one, though, Rudolph, and the one that people seem to comment on the most as helping to improve their lives is probably the one that has the most curious and the and the most simple and i think fun title and it's about the the symbol of the tyler and the chapter is called uh, the bouncer at the door of your mind mm -hmm. as you know a tyler is a man who who, who is really the, the bouncer the, the security guard who stands outside the door of a masonic lodge his symbol is is a sword and often at a masonic lodge a tyler will carry a full a full length sword I've seen lodges where he's had a little cocktail sword, a little plastic cocktail <laughs> sword. The sword isn't important as a material object. It's important as a symbol. symbol and yeah. the chapter of the book actually tells you why he is so important. And it all comes down to, you know, your thought process and, and blocking the negativity from your mind and having a positive mindset and how to use your own Tyler at the start and the end of every day to improve your thought process. And I'll tell you what, Rudolph, I have had, so many people come back to me, especially non-Masons, saying that is their favorite chapter of the book because that is the chapter right there they use the most. I get people telling me the, the bouncer story, the Tyler story, I now use what, what I call in the book your inner Tyler. Okay, mm. They now use their inner Tyler every single day. Great. Well, the title of the book is Know Thyself, and already that title, I think, is crucial to the whole idea of masonry, of course, not only of masonry, many, many occult societies. So Know Thyself is a very central and crucial phrase that is used. Uh, what does it mean to you, and why did you choose it for the title of your book? I was brainstorming titles for the book for, for a little while, and I had a lot of uh, cool titles, catchy titles. Some, you know, they say as a writer, you, an old word is you, you hate killing your babies, which means that as a writer, you write things that you think are amazing at the time, but then later on, you've, you've got to edit them out and cut them out altogether, and they end up on the, on the cutting room floor, so to speak. In writing speak, it's called killing your babies. So I killed off a lot of babies when I was choosing a heading for this book. And one of the original ones I had that just I couldn't and kill off was know thyself and the, the more that i reduced my list down this one just stuck out at me because as i say in the book i believe this is the greatest instruction any individual can possibly receive is to know thyself and 
that's what life is all about. You need to be able to know yourself before you can know anything else properly in life. Before you can know other people, you've got to get you to know yourself. You've got to understand your strengths and your weaknesses. You've got to understand what makes you tick. You've got to understand the aspects of the left and right hemispheres of your brain, your male and female you know, sides. You've got to understand the black and white checkerboard inside of you. You've got to understand all these aspects about yourself to be able to truly interact with the world and to be able to truly improve yourself. And they've known this throughout history. This was the motto, the words inscribed over the, the forecourt at the Temple of Apollo in Delphi. Right. When you think about the Temple of Apollo in Delphi, that was maybe the first ever Masonic Lodge. You know, yeah. it, it really was the basis for a Masonic Lodge. Here you had all these great minds coming together without any thought as to religious differences, political differences, uh, skin color, race color, creed. None of that mattered. They came together to talk about the world, to talk about each other, to improve each other, to ask the Oracle for guidance, and really to learn about themselves. And when they walk through the door in the, in, in the temple, over the temples written, know thyself, because the ancient sages of ancient Greece knew that was the most important thing. To enter this temple is to get to know yourself. And, and I couldn't think of a better, a better title for the book because this book all is, as I said, about self-improvement. And to improve yourself, you've got to know yourself. Yeah. Does your ritual or your uh, lodge, your grand lodge, also use know thyself as the motto of the first degree? Or is that something that is a more European approach? It's a European approach because it's uh, mentioned nowhere in the, uh, the first degree in uh, here in the States. Not that I've right. seen anyway, but especially not in my Grand Lodge. And I will also add that I am a Grand Lodge officer in the Grand Lodge of the state of Nevada, mm -hmm. uh, which is something I'm thrilled to be, but there's no mention of know yourself in uh, in the first degree or in any of the three degrees, actually, of, uh, of, the, of the ritual. Right. Interesting. You mentioned symbols, symbolism. What do symbols mean to you personally? What do they give to you? And what do you think in a more general way? What can they give to others? How do you react to symbols? I was never a, a big symbol person before I became a Freemason. I realized just how important symbols are. And I realized that symbols are all around us. And the purpose of a symbol is to communicate a message or communicate something important, usually, uh, without using words. And they are all around us. You know, you look around, you see a, you're driving around a car park and you see a handicapped symbol or a disabled symbol. It's telling you without using words, don't park there. That's reserved for a disabled person. You're on an airplane and the light belt sign flashes up. Well, it's telling you, put your seatbelt on. You know, yeah. um, it doesn't need someone coming over a microphone telling you that. Uh, you go in an elevator and you go the up arrow or the down arrow flashes to you know which way the elevator is going. You don't need words written out for you. Right. So symbols have a way of getting inside our mind and conveying information. Now, when you go symbols, which is, is masonry is all about symbols. Masonry can be described as a science of symbolism. It really can because yeah. everything in Freemasonry is all, all symbolic. Not only the, the symbols you see, such as a square and a compass, a 24-inch gauge, a plum, a level, etc., but also the symbolism of everything we do in the lodge. The way we move, the way our signs, the, our handshakes—you um, know—the symbolic, the symbolism, the words we use, the pedestals of the officers, uh, the circumambulation, the, the cable tow—everything is symbolic. And once I really got into studying that, I realized that by looking at a symbol or seeing a symbol, it conveys to me this deep, deep message. And if you think, 
you know, if, if, if you're thinking to yourself, and you might be a Freemason of several years or a, a new Freemason, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, uh, let's take a symbol of the 24-inch gauge. What does it teach me? Well, the ritual tells me that a 24-inch gauge teaches me to divide my time into a 24-hour day in three equal parts of eight hours each, and every part should be spent for, you know, rest and refreshment, for work, and for um, service to God, okay? Yeah. And that's it. That's your explanation. Okay, I just told you, what, two sentences? Whereas my book, I've written a whole chapter yeah. on this one symbol. So let me tell you, folks, there is so much more than just the one or two sentences you're seeing in your ritual book or you're being taught in your degrees. There is so much to it. Do you realize that the 24-inch gauge is the very first working tool that a newly made mason is presented with, the very first one. Now, that's not by some random chance. That's not just a bunch of guys in the 17th century when they wrote the ritual sitting there going, uh, you know what, uh, let's make the uh, – oh, we'll make the 24-inch gauge the first one. It doesn't really matter. I'll just do that one first. No, 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 no. These guys were geniuses. They knew that before you could achieve anything in life, in your personal life or in your professional life, you've got to understand – time you've got to manage your time effectively okay now this this has become big business these days you know there are corporations billion dollar corporations who employ specialists to come in and lecture their employees about time management and they're getting paid millions for it masons have been doing this for hundreds of years it's all in the 24 inch gauge when you break it down were they aware of biorhythms? Were they aware of the circadian clock inside your body and how that all worked? Were they aware of all these big business time management techniques? Maybe, maybe not. But the genius is they knew that time management was above all else, the, the, you know, the one thing you needed to conquer before you could go on to anything else. So getting back to your original question, symbols contain these amazing lessons You've just got to be able to really peel back the layers of the onion. I have at home the first-degree tracing board, which is one of my favorite works of art, the beautiful first-degree tracing board. Right. And my wife loves it as well. She doesn't understand it like I do, but she loves it as a, as a piece of art. And I tell people when I look at that, I go, I look at this tracing board, all these symbols, and this is like me looking at a, a magic picture eye book. You know one of those ones you stare at, and after yeah. a while the picture is revealed to you? I go, when I stare at this painting – all these lessons are revealed to me. It's a whole book is revealed to me. I'm not just seeing an altar or a ladder or these columns. They are revealing something deep to me that helps me improve my life. And and really, you know, Freemasonry is nothing, if not anything, you know, more than the study of symbolism. And those symbols are all geared towards helping you improve yourself. Right. Do you think that a symbol, the interpretation of a symbol, let's put it that way, is very individual to each of us or is there a, a common interpretation to a symbol for everyone or at least each mason let's talk non-mason let's talk general population first right. of course a symbol there are symbols that are ingrained to us since we were kids like i said a disabled sticker up and down arrows red green and amber lights these are all symbols we just know from when we're kids we know what they are so we all share a common interpretation of those symbols the same in freemasonry square level plum uh common gavel 24 inch gauge pencil compasses skirt uh point within a circle we know what they are those couple of lines we're given in the ritual but when it comes to freemasonry they're all so much deeper it does rely on your personal interpretation and how deep you want to see 
where that rabbit hole goes, how deep you want to peel back the layers of that onion and really learn and ingest what this symbol truly means. You know, you can you can swim in the in the shallow end, or you can go on the deep end of the pool and get get much much further and much more joy out of it. But also, Rudolph, I want to point out this: is that a symbol is only as powerful as you allow it to be. I want people to remember this. One uh, example I often give is let's take a triangle for argument's sake, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, to a, a three- or four-year-old kid in kindergarten, a triangle is just a, 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 a picture they draw with crayons. You know, it's three sides. It's a triangle. Right. The same triangle to a high school student is the Pythagorean uh, theorem, you know? Right. B squared plus B squared is C squared, okay? Yeah. The same symbol to a Freemason represents something different, the the three sides of an equilateral triangle. Now, the same symbol to a Satanist represents a way, is it called a thermaturgic triangle, which represents a way of summoning evil spirits or demonic spirits, okay? Yeah. They're using the exact same triangle that the the three- or four-year-old in kindergarten is using, but... They are allowing that symbol or allowing themselves to be, if you want to call it empowered by that symbol, I don't call that power, but empowered or affected that way by that symbol. But you see the two or three or four-year-old isn't, the high school student isn't, the Freemason isn't. So it all comes down. You know, if you see a 666 somewhere and people say, well, that's a sign of the devil, which is ridiculous, but it's only because you are allowing it to have that power over you. To me, if I see 666, it's just the number 666. Huh. I'll happily stay on the 13th floor of a hotel. A lot of people won't. And I'm in hotels every week. I'll happily choose the 13th floor because I don't allow some silly superstition to have any power over me. Yeah. You know? And you're probably I'm, more calm on the 13th floor because so many people wouldn't choose it. <laughs> right, exactly. I've got a lot more room to move around. But that's <laughs> what I'm saying is that, that it's only as much, you know, it's, it's only as powerful as you let it be. Don't let these yeah, things have power over you. There's no need to. Yeah. You know, otherwise you spend your whole life being paranoid. I, I read some of these conspiracy theorists on the internet, and it seems that everything, everything, every basic shape can be attached to some sort of Illuminati, NWO, alien, reptilian, you know, anything from a triangle to a circle to a bloody rainbow to a crescent to, to a star, a five-pointed star, six-pointed star, seven-pointed star. These are things as kids we learn to draw in, in school, man. Don't mm. apply any significance to them. When there's none there that you you should let overtake your life, there really, there really isn't. Don't 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 think it's bad when it doesn't have to be. I'm sticking to that symbol question because of your subtitle of the book, the using the symbols of masonry to improve your life. So I don't know if it's if you can answer that question, but can you pick a symbol or? tell our listeners a symbol that is kind of your favorite or one of your favorites in masonry and give us a short two-minute interpretation for our listeners who might be masons who might not be masons but at least they're all very interested in esoteric and uh, spiritual matters well let me tell you i'll give you one that's not in my book and it's the symbolism of the two pillars Mm-hmm. The two pillars you walk through when you enter a Masonic lodge. Right now, how would how do I study the symbolism of the two pillars as it can relate to my personal life and how it can help me in my path to self improvement? The way I see it is, there's a pillar on the left and a pillar on the right, and they represent several things, but they also represent predominantly 
the two parts of the brain, the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. One part being the logical part of the brain, one part being the more artistic side of the brain, one part being the male part of the brain, one part being the female part of the brain. Okay, mm-hmm. left and right represents duality. There's duality in everything in life. There's no up without down. There's no hot without cold. There's no outside without inside. There's no left pillar without the right pillar because together they symbolize balance. Now, you as a Freemason are taught to walk between the two pillars. You're never taught to walk closer to the pillar on the left. You're never taught to walk closer to the pillar on the right. You're taught to walk between the two pillars, symbolizing harmony. Now, this is a way you need to go through your life and think about things. Often when we get upset, we get angry at something in life because we become polarized. We become polarized by an issue. I noticed over the last 12 months, a lot of people became polarized by Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and then Trump becoming president of the USA and they let it affect them a great deal and their thinking is completely polarized. It upsets the way they operate every day. Well, don't let it polarize you, okay? Walk in the middle of those two pillars. By being polarized, you're going to the right or you're going to the left. You're going to the extremes. Try and stay focused on the middle. And whenever, Rudolph, I find myself in a sticky situation or a situation in which I'm upset or I'm getting aggravated at someone, let's say in customer service maybe, I'm getting aggravated, upset, Mm. I picture those two pillars in my mind and I picture a line right in the middle of those two pillars and I picture myself walking that center line, not being polarized. And that is that brings me a lot of calmness, a lot of relief. It brings me back down to back down to earth, and it calms me and relaxes me. And that's how I use the symbol of the two pillars. Teach myself not to become polarized, yeah. to walk the center line, the middle yeah. line. That very good example to me as well. And thank you for that. And I think it also talks to non-Masons who are interested in hermeticism or other spiritual development systems because finding the middle and finding the center is an essential art within most spiritual movements. Right, exactly. But you know what? Again, I'll tell you that in the ritual of, well, at least the ritual here in in Nevada, mostly throughout America, there's no mention of what I spoke about. Now, that might just be my interpretation, but I believe it's it's the correct interpretation. You know, the ritual, it tells you the two pillars symbolize the, the, the names of those pillars. In strength will I establish this mine house. Right. And when I heard that for the first time as, a, as an EA and then as a, as a fellow craft, I thought to myself, that sort of makes no sense. It really doesn't do anything for me that these two pillars represent one establishment and one strength. I mean, what does that teach me? It teaches me nothing. I don't, I don't get it. So I had yeah. to look deep. I had to study deeper. I had to think to myself, why are there two pillars? Why not one pillar? Why not three? Why not four? Why not ten? Why am I taught to walk between the two pillars down the, you know, through the middle of them? I'm not taught to walk on the left or the right. Always ask questions. When you're reading Masonic ritual, when you're reading ritual of anything, ask questions. You know, Even if you're, you're, you're reading the Bible, ask questions. Yep. It's so much allegory. It's all, it's all allegorical teaching. Freemasonry is the same. We teach by allegory of the building of King Solomon's temple. You can't truly understand the teachings of the Bible unless you understand they're all allegorical. And then once you get past the fact that most of them didn't really take place, then you can get down to the nitty-gritty, get down to the actual lesson being taught, the beautiful lessons in most of them that are being taught are lessons that can improve you as well in everyday life. 
Absolutely. But, I mean, the interpretation about the translation you just gave is a very English system-rooted one. But what you said as your personal interpretation, I haven't heard it exactly with those words, but being in the center between those poles, the the, the male and the female, for example, etc., etc., I have seen that in several rituals as also kind of in a of a more global interpretation so i i'm i'm sure that's also what is partly meant with it i'm sure right there i i think it has to be you know someone else may interpret the symbol of the two pillars differently to me and that's fine because that's, that's fine, the beauty yeah. of symbolism the beauty of symbolism is it's open to interpretation and your interpretation may differ from mine may differ from another brother may differ from another one again but as long as that interpretation is adding something to your life and not detracting anything from your life, as long as it's adding something positive, then take that interpretation with you. A lot of people are very quick to bag out religion and religious people. And you know, I'll say that I'm not an overly religious person. I believe in God, as every Freemasonry does. I believe in God. I believe yeah. in a higher power. I believe that the lessons taught throughout a lot of the Bible are beautiful lessons, are timeless lessons. I believe Jesus taught a lot of timeless lessons, fantastic lessons. He was a teacher of lessons that were taught before him as well. And have been taught after him, but he taught them in a very succinct manner using parables or allegory. But you should never, ever bag out someone for doing something that improves themselves. If someone is very religious and that helps them be a better person, so be it. Power to them. If someone is into their yoga, into their karate, their martial arts, they're into their meditation, okay, they're into their schooling that much, power to them so long as it's not infringing on anyone else's sovereignty and so long as it's improving who they are, all power to them is what I say. Absolutely. Well, Michael, this has been a fascinating talk and the hour has flown by. I couldn't believe it now when I saw the clock that the hour is already gone. I have a last question for you. It's not an easy one, but I'm sure you're going to answer it in a very clear and brilliant way. You mentioned throughout the interview several times masonry is there, like other systems, but for you to make a better person out of you and to make better people out of the brothers. What is a better person for you? How would you say you can recognize that somebody has become a better person? I think... A better person is to be better. First of all, it's got to come down to the individual. To be better today than I was yesterday. To be a better person is in your interactions, particularly your your private interactions with yourself, but also the way you deal with other people. And it's one of the big changes I do see in Freemasonry is that I've seen so many people come through Freemasonry that when they joined, they were very different people to when they were when they were raised master masons and their interactions particularly with other people their sense of empathy their sense of compassion their their, their spirit of giving their positivity their their ability to improve themselves in in public speaking the love they're exuding for their fellow human being just is apples and oranges night and day from when they joined to a year later apples and oranges and really i think that a lot of what improves you in life does come down to your spirit comes down to love. If you can be a more loving, caring, compassionate, empathetic person, it makes you a better person. Okay. And all these things, all these lessons can translate into that very private personal part of your life, but also can translate into your professional life as well. The, you know, there's a reason why throughout history, so many Freemasons, you know, so many successful 
people from uh, you know Morris Sachs to uh, to to Dave Adams, the founder of Wendy's, you know the founder of Saks Fifth Avenue, the founder of Chrysler Cars, mm. um, big, big, big corporations leaders have been Freemasons because the lessons have helped improve them personally and professionally. So that's what I think self improvement is: improving all facets of your life to be better today than you were less yesterday, but particularly your interactions with other people. Brother Michael, I'm very grateful for your time and that you have been with us today. This has been really fascinating. I want to repeat the title of that book that has been uh, published by Lewis Masonic last September, Know Thyself, Using the Symbols of Freemasonry to Improve Your Life by Brother Michael Schiavello. Thanks, Michael, so much again. And I hope maybe one day we'll speak again. Do you have any project, any particular project regarding masonry, regarding a publishing a book in that sense that's upcoming? Is there anything that we should know? At the moment, I just want no. I just want to say thank you to you, Rudolph. It's an absolute pleasure to to chat to you. I've been looking forward to coming on this broadcast for a long, long time, as you know. We finally got it organised, and yeah. anytime you want to back on, it would be my absolute pleasure. I hope people can grab a copy of the book and have a read. It's available on on Amazon in the UK, Amazon in the USA, uh, through the LewisMasonic.com website, right. and uh, grab a copy, have a read, and if it helps you improve your life in Freemasonry, great. If you're not a Freemason and help to improve your life, that's fantastic. I hope everyone gets something out of it. And those of you who have not been able to write that down now because they were driving a car or sitting in the, in the tube, go on the website thoughthermes.com and you'll find a link directly to where you can buy that book. Thanks, Michael. Have a good Thank rest you, of the day Rudolph. and uh, speak soon. Thank you, Rudolph. This was a very interesting hour that I passed in the company of Michael Schiavello. I do hope you also enjoyed. Well, I have promised you a little further view and masonry now. In fact, as I see it, Michael has given us an overview on the North American and Australian tradition and ways of implementing masonry. What I find so fascinating about the Brotherhood is that on one hand all Masons are linked through one common idea, common virtues that are shared by every member of the craft, wherever they come from. But on the other hand, Masonry is so diverse, has so many different traditions, rituals, ways of doing things and center points that it can even sometimes be confusing. I am sure that Freemasonry will be part of this podcast regularly and over time we will hopefully get a broad picture of all kinds of approaches. But here and now, let me say the following. Michael has introduced us to a very exoteric approach as I would like to name it. This is indeed seen and practiced widely in that form. In those traditions, self-improvement is indeed a very central part of the work that a Mason has to do. I would like to name two further approaches which are very common, especially in continental Europe and Latin America, I would say. First, there is a strong humanitarian approach, 
And when I say that, I do not only mean that Masons organize and support charity, which they do all over the world, but that they discuss and get involved in projects to develop not only themselves, but the society they and we all together live in. This approach has of course also led to many misunderstandings and is probably the main reason for many of the accusations about that masonry encounters, trying to rule the world at best. In a more modest and realistic sense, though, one must acknowledge that many social and peace projects in the last 300 years have been initiated by members of the craft. On the other hand, I would also like to stress the role that esotericism plays in Freemasonry. This, again, is by far not the case for every Mason, but it is obvious also to the outsider and observer that many Masons are also very much interested in the esoteric history and background of their lodges and traditions. Personally, I also strongly believe this to be at the core of what makes Freemasonry strong and interesting. I will briefly come back to that subject in a moment, but before that, I would like to present to you another short interview. Worshipful Master Gregor Radkolb of the Vienna-based Lodge Autrois-Canon was so kind to let me ask him a few of my questions, and I think his answers will give you a very different view of Masonry and on the differences between North America and continental Europe. After this short interview, we will immediately hear the last of the three selected pieces of Masonic music, and this is a famous and classical one. Maurerische Trauermusik, Masonic funeral music, a wonderful and moving piece by a famous member of the Brotherhood, Brother Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. But before that, let's listen to Gregor. Welcome, Gregor Rathkop, Worshipful Master of the Austrian Lodge Ultra Canon here in Vienna. It's a pleasure to have you under the microphone tonight. Well, we just talked about Freemasonry in the United States, Australia and England, but as I just told our listeners, there are also other types, one might want to say, of Freemasonry around the world. So maybe you would like to describe how you see Freemasonry in Austria and what it means to you and the brethren here in our country. Well, uh, thank you for the opportunity to discuss this issue. I guess continental Freemasonry in Europe is something quite different to the United States or Australia and also to Great Britain. One of the most unusual things for American or English Masons is that we meet every week, which is quite unusual for, for other Masons in other parts of the world. And uh, uh, one thing which is, which is very important is uh, that we have a very long-standing tradition of the so-called speeches, where the main issues are, of course, uh, subjects uh, which are related to Masonry and which get discussed afterwards. Another point is that there is a very strong tradition 
which tries to deal with esoteric issues, mainly with ritualistic questions, but also uh, dealing with, uh, with issues which are related maybe to Masonic thought and philosophy, uh, not to say uh, religion. Right, because religion and politics are subjects which are kind of taboo in the lodge, aren't they? Yeah, they are, uh, but it depends how you see it. Of course, we don't discuss uh, daily political issues so that uh, no quarrel can arise. But uh, in modern society, I guess every every issue could be a political one. Uh, just dis discuss the issue of human rights um, related to the fight against terrorism. When the governments try to limit uh, the the rights of of all the citizens, this can be discussed as a political issue. But I think it's also a very Masonic issue, as uh, Freemasons are free men, and uh, also they are uh, subjects uh, or good citizens, or should be good citizens. It's also their task to, to think about uh, those uh, developments when our governments try to, to limit our rights. Probably those kind of issues also arose in Europe in another way, because historically Freemasonry has probably played a different role, didn't it? Yeah, of course. Let's just take the, the Austrian example, which is a very good example. Between the, the First and the Second World War, in the Viennese lodges, next to all parties met, and it is a heritage where we are very proud of that... It was the politicians of the 20s and the, and the beginning 30s, not after 34, when we had the, the Austrian fascist regime, mm -hmm. which limited the range of Freemasonry very uh, massively, where they were worked together to, to set up some, something like a social security system, which we hadn't before. Right. They met in the lodges, also the, the one belonged to the Social Democratic Party, the other were conservatives. And they had a common goal to make the Austrian state better uh, and safer for its citizens. Could one say that, very generally speaking, of course, North American or Anglo-Saxon uh, masonry deals more with self-improvement and the development of the individual, as opposed to continental European masonry maybe is more concerned with uh, a general development, a societal uh, development? This is a question which is really difficult to, to be answered. If you come from a law, we here in Ottawa Canon, we work with the Scottish Rite, with a certain emphasis on the esoteric side of the ritual. And if you meet uh, or attend a large meeting, for example, in England, this is something quite different. I guess uh, the, the, the common ground for masonry on the whole world is, is the self-approvement of, of each member. But you are absolutely right to say that the continental masonry also deals with common issues or global issues. You just mentioned several times esoteric masonry. Can you maybe give a few examples for that or go a bit more in-depth in Austria and maybe also from your experiences elsewhere? depends on your personal way to look at masonry or to live masonry. When you analyze the, the ritual, not, not also from the Blue Lodges, but also like uh, Royal Arch Masonry, it has a very, very, very strong Christian, especially Christian background. 
and you see religious issues everywhere. It's the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. I'm, I'm convinced that you cannot be a Mason without believing in a su superior being. Mm -hmm. If we analyze the rituals, it has a very, very strong uh, Christian direction. And what about things like Gnosticism or Hermeticism and those schools? Don't they also find their reflection in Masonry? Yeah, of course. I think this is the greatest, uh, not invention or however you call it, of, of masonry, that it's uh, opens ground for several disciplines. You can look at the ritual from the Christian point of view, um, even from the Catholic one. You can uh, look at it from a Gnostic point of view and find contents there or, or hermetic contents, whatever. And I think this is very, very useful and important that in the largest work is carried on on these issues because I think those subjects help every brother, uh, even those uh, who, who are not uh, really on the spiritual track, to, to call it like this, to get uh, better masons and better people. One last question where I also could feel a rather big difference with what Brother Michael Schiavello just told us, the question of secrecy and about talking about being a mason talking about what masonry is to the outside world how do you see that situation in your country i guess here in continental europe we have a very different uh, history and tradition towards secrecy we don't have to forget that uh, in the in the second world war on the third reich the freemasons were chased and sent to the concentration camps Therefore, it is from uttermost importance uh, because Europe is, tends to be more conservative, especially in the, in, in the East, let's take Poland, that it's, uh, often it's not really good for your career if the people know that you're amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason of secrecy. I mean, you are, you are absolutely free to say, okay, I'm amazing, point, uh, but you are not allowed to tell somebody outside The, uh, the brotherhood that this guy and this guy is also amazing. Right. This could be really a, a question for your career. Sure. Worshipful Brother Gregor, thank you so much for your time and speaking to us for that short interview, which gave us a completely different view on certain questions of masonry. Thanks for that. I hope that our listeners will also continue ask questions via the possibilities on the website. And if I may, I might forward one or the other to you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. And have a nice evening. Thanks. Bye.
Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Masonic Funeral Music. A last few words on masonry for today. This is a podcast about the Western esoteric tradition, and Freemasonry has been and continues to be an important part of this tradition. Esotericism is deeply rooted and to many brethren an indispensable and inalienable part of the craft. This can be found in many stories that try to link it to the Templars, to the Egyptian mysteries, etc. Without doubt, hermetic and Gnostic thought have a strong impact on masonry. To me, it often also seems, as I said before, that it serves as an entry door into further esoteric studies for many. Let's also not forget that many of the occult societies that have been founded in the 19th century have built their paths on Masonic tradition and even great systems, for example, the Golden Dawn. So, if you want, one could sum up those three main currents in contemporary Freemasonry through three different types of development. Personal and self-development for the individual brother, humanistic and social development for everyone, and then spiritual development, again for the individual, which has also its consequences for mankind. The base of it all to me is what lies at the base of each individual or group work in any esoteric or occult tradition and therefore also for Freemasonry. Know thyself. There is such a wide field to explore that I think and hope that this episode, by celebrating the 300-year anniversary of the first Grand Lodge, will only be a beginning and that we will in the future have many interesting and very diverse guests with whom we will talk about the craft. And of course, as always, your suggestions for questions or guests you would like to hear are appreciated. The News Given that we are already rather advanced in time in this episode, I will only bring three short news to your attention, but which nevertheless I hope you will find attractive. The first concerns the guest of our last episode, number four, Thomas Carlson. This episode has created tremendous interest, by the way, so if you have not yet had the time to listen, go and do so, it is really worth it. First news in that respect is that Thomas will return to Thoth Henry's podcast later this year, probably in October, to cover many more subjects which we were unable to touch last time, like runes, Kabbalah, etc. Thanks, Thomas, for accepting. He has also announced that he will issue a new book in late August, called The Green Book. In his own announcement, he writes, This is a book that has organically come into being through the work of writing other books. It is a conversation with Lucifer, Phosphorus, 
on a multidimensional level both in nature and other realities about illumination and the liquid gold, the emerald from his crown, the fall and rise, the exile and the return, the red dragon that dwells in the green forests and the black hole and the eternal dragon. Sounds exciting to me, so watch out for this. Angel Millar, who has designed the beautiful logo and backgrounds for the website of Thor's Hermes podcast, is of course also a very well-known author. His book, The Crescent and the Compass, Islam, Freemasonry, Esotericism and Revolution in the Modern Age, which initially came out in 2015 and which I find a really exciting book, will be released as a newly revised and expanded edition also at the end of August this year. The revised work has more on Aleister Crowley and Islam and some new details about Islam and an early Masonic catechism. Sounds very exciting. Talking about books, this brings us to... Books and other reviews. Today I would like to present to you a small book by British author Gray Waitman and published by Louis Masonic. This is another book that wants to help the reader on its roughly 200 pages in his or her path of personal development by using many of the symbols that masonry suggests. But this one is aimed more for the mason already initiated. On the other hand, I would imagine the book is also equally interesting for the reader for whom masonry could be an option for the future. It tells you a lot about the craft, but does not give away things to the uninitiated. Rather, it creates interest. Cray starts his voyage on symbolism on the famous rough ashlar, and he maintains this symbol of the stone like a red line throughout the whole book, which I find a very interesting and convincing approach. The voyage then follows up with explanations on the working tools of the three craft degrees and then finds its intermediate aim in the perfect ashlar. But Waitman does not stop there, where many authors would have stopped. He takes the perfect Ashler, the symbol of the man who was able to develop into a better being, further. The stone becomes part of King Solomon's temple. The individual becomes the necessary part of something bigger that we can only build if each of us will be part of the whole, of the improvement of society. Then we are also led through a highly interesting chapter about the illusion of the self, which I found fascinating, and the book concludes with some pages about the symbolism of the royal arch. 
Cray Waitman builds, in my view, an excellent bridge between esoteric approaches. He often uses the word initiation and initiate, which I find very positive and rather rare nowadays. And the utility of Freemasonry today in our daily lives. I found that approach very inspiring. A little criticism goes to the publisher. They use a rather glossy paper where it is extremely hard to put your personal notes into the book. Now, you might be part of those who do not like to write notes in your books and find people like me who do. Weird. But there are so many interesting things that Cray has to say and which I would like to underline or annotate on. Well, okay, I stop. Anyway, a great book, absolutely worth the buy. And in the review section of the Thoth Hermes website, I will link you to where you can buy it. Well, friends and listeners, this slowly brings us to the end of this episode, number five of the Thoth Hermes podcast. Before you go, let me tell you that these days I will also open a blog section on the Thoth Hermes website. The first entry will go a bit more in-depth into the different facets of masonry, especially, of course, about its esoteric tradition. Would be nice if you went there, read, and please also comment. Thank you. Our next episode, number six, will feature again an exciting guest, director of the Gnostic Church of Lux, Paul Joseph Rovelli. Join us from June 29 onwards to listen to this very interesting interview, to get fresh news, some book reviews, and hopefully also your feedback. I do hope you enjoyed this episode and that we were able to give you just a glimpse of some of the many things that can be said about Freemasonry. We are always trying to give you new ideas and insight and make you think and reflect on things you might already know or discover something for the very first time. I'm looking forward to having you back in two weeks. The soothing sounds of Wendy Rule's night sea journey are all ready to be heard. So I have to let you go. Take care, stay tuned, Hear you soon.